I hate going to the dentist. Anybody else? Like the dentist is the worst place in the world. Look, if you're a dentist here at The Journey, if you work for a dentist, we love you. We're glad you're here. You're welcome to be here, but you bring a lot of pain, okay? Uh, we go to our dentist, and I went back for my cleaning, uh, my, my checkup here recently, the past few weeks, and our dentist is pretty funny. She's like, Chad, your teeth are genetically superior. I don't even know what that means. And I'm kind of like, thank you, I guess. So she says, hey, your, your teeth are genetically superior, but your gums bleed a lot. I'm sitting there thinking, well, it's because you take that little pointy thing that's real sharp and you keep sticking it in them. That's what I want to say, but I just kind of smile as she's got her hands in, in my mouth. And, and some of you are thinking, well, maybe you don't floss. I do floss, okay? So that's not the issue either. We're not sure what's going on. But I don't like going to the dentist. You know, we don't like going to the dentist. We don't like going to the doctor. Because you go to the doctor and they poke you and they prod you and they tell you, hey, you can't eat for like 12 hours before you get here and we're going to take 10 vials of blood and you need to go get this thing done. And it's terrible. We don't like doing any of these things. But here's the reality. We know it's important for us to go to the dentist because we want our teeth and our mouth to be healthy. And we go to the doctor because we want our body to be healthy. But we want to live a long time. And so we take the steps that we need to take so that we can do just that. Today we do begin this brand new series called Heart Attack, and it's not about health, it's not about the, the medical world, it's about marriage. And so over the next few weeks we're going to talk about marriage. Now when I say we're going to talk about marriage, a lot of the ladies in here are like, yes, we're going to talk about relationships, we're going to talk about marriage, this is great. And the dudes are like, yes, <laughs> we're going to talk about relationships and marriage and this is great. Because we got to think, hey, if it's not broken, why fix it? Right, guys? Here's the deal. Here's what we know. Marriages are broken. Let's just be honest. Marriages are broken. Marriages are hurting. There's pain and there's struggles. And it's not just the world around us. It's in a place like this in the church. And so over the next few weeks, we are going to focus on marriage. Now, let me say this, too, before we get started. Um, this series is actually for anyone. It could really fit well with any kind of relationships that we have. So whether you're married or divorced or separated or you're dating, you're dreaming about being married, you're, you're engaged, you're single, I truly believe this marriage is for everybody or this, this series is for everybody. But again, we're, we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to use that word quite frequently. And one other thing I want to say, I know in some churches they, they will tell you that marriage is the ultimate in your Christian walk. It's not the case here, okay? If you're single and you want to be single the rest of your life, it's totally cool with us. Uh, marriage isn't some goal that you try to reach as a Christian and it gets you to this other plane or anything like that, some special reward. Um, marriage is important, we believe, but it's not the ultimate. And so if you're single, like, man, I don't ever want to get married, that, that's totally fine, totally fine. But here's what I want to say this morning as we get started, that again, marriage is hard and marriage is a struggle. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on a scripture out of Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs 4, 23. And here's what it says. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. You know, we talk about the heart. and We've got the physical heart that we know is important and keeps our bodies moving and doing what they need to do. But then there's this other heart, right? We talk about this metaphor of the heart, this emotional piece, this, um, this, this part of us that's really our, our inner being of who we are. And so we talk about the heart a lot. And so one of the things we've got to do in general is guard our hearts because everything we do flows from it. Who we are on the outside is who we are on the inside. 
And it's no different when it comes to marriage. Who we are on the inside is going to flow into who we are within our relationships, within our marriage, within the people that we are dating. And so it's so important that we understand how to guard our heart. And sometimes we need to look deep inside and say, what's inside my heart? Because what's inside my heart, again, will flow into the relationships that I have. And if it's unhealthy, do you know what will happen? We'll have a heart attack within our marriage. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about guarding our heart. Now, this isn't normal for us up on stage. Uh, We have these five boxes right here. And some of you, you've been here before about a year and a half ago. I used the same illustration for a message I did. So you're going to see some of the stuff like, hey, is he already doing messages? He's already done. He can't come up with anything brand new. Yes, I can. This illustration actually works really well with what we're talking about today. But, um, but I hope that this, this is a, a visual that can, can help all of us kind of when it, when it comes to, to marriage. Um, what we have here on, on this side, we have the ladies, okay? And, and then over here, we have the dudes, all right? Now, let me show you what we have here. Uh, when you, before you get married, you walk into this marriage, and, and what we do is we bring a box with us, all right? And this box is called our box of desires. And both of us do it. We bring this into our marriage, and we say, hey, here are the desires I have. Here are the dreams I have, the wants that I have, uh, the, the needs that I feel like I, I have to have for our marriage, and so as you're walking down that aisle on that particular day, you're carrying that box. Now, nobody can see it, but it's there. It's just deep inside. It's within our hearts. And so we come into this marriage and we bring this box of desires with us. Again, our hopes and our dreams, our wants for this relationship. And it's different for, for women and men. Now, I'm going to show you some things out of these boxes. This is very stereotypical, Okay. Uh, So don't send me the email like, I'm not that person. That's not in my box of desires. Well, that's fine. That's your box. If Steve Harvey were here, we were to ask him, he'd say, hey, this is the the top 100, right? So here we go. So ladies, let's start with you. Your box of desires. What's in there? Well, maybe for you, it's the Chip and Joanne Gaines house, right? (laughs) It's a big book. I don't know why anybody would want to read it. But anyway, oh. It's the first time I've opened it. It's just pictures. Um, so this, I would like this book. It's just pictures. So anyway, so, so ladies, maybe this is in your box of desires. It's that Chip and Joanne Gaines house, right? It's got shiplap everywhere. <laughs> and not only that, but you go to Target, and they, got the, they just have one little aisle there. And you just buy all their stuff in there, and, and you go down to Magnolia Farms, and I know way too much about these people. But, um, but maybe that's where you are, right? This is what you have in your box of desires. And, and your desire is you're going to have this perfect home when you get married. And then maybe you are one of those individuals, ladies, you, you, you worked really hard in school. And you, you got all these school loans and now you, you've got this dual income. And, and so maybe for you, you've got this car. And you're excited about this car. I know you're thinking this isn't a guy's box. It's not a guy's box. It's a lady's box. And you've got this car that you've always been looking for. And you're excited about that. So maybe that's in your box of desires. And, and then maybe for you, there's the baby thing, right? There's the baby. And you're thinking about the kids and the box of desire. And you're like, here's how many kids I want. And this is how, how, how we're going to spread them out. And this is when we're going to start. I mean, you've got it all planned out. And, and so there's all these things. We could add so many more things in here of, of in, that's in your, your box of desires. And when you get married... You're bringing that into the relationship. Now there's the dudes. 
It ain't empty, I promise you that. If you got kids under the age of 12, you might want to hide their eyes. Uh, there's only one thing in this box. And that's pretty much what it looks like right there. Right, guys? Let's just be honest. Thank you. That's it. And you know it's true. So anyway, so in the box of desires for guys, there's one thing. So, and again, don't send me some email like, that's not true for me. I don't care, guys. It is. So, <clears throat> but here's what happens when we get married, right? We bring this box of desires in, and then we have this marriage. We, your parents, or maybe you, you spend all this money, and you sign all these contracts, and at the end, you, 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 know, you, you give them a ring, and then you say, I do, and you give them a kiss, and then you sign this paperwork, and the pastor signs the paperwork, and then you're married. What happens with the box of desires? You bring them into that relationship. But then things change. Changes from a box of desires into a box of expectations. Now it's not just something that we hope for or we want or we dream about. This is what we actually want to see happen within that marriage. And so not only do we have a desire for that house, that's what we expect. And not only do we have a desire for that car, but that's what we expect. And same thing with the kids. And again, whatever's in your box of desires, it just rolls right over to these box of expectations. And gentlemen... Yep, there you go. <laughs> We're done. So, those desires become our expectations, right? We've changed from what we want or we dream, and now we've said, hey, I'm dumping this on you, and I am telling you, this is what I expect within this marriage. I expect these things to happen. I expect this to take place within our marriage. And so now things have drastically changed. These desires are these expectations, but then there's one other box. There's the actual reality. And that looks very different than those desires. And many times very different than those expectations. And, and that house that we were looking for, it might be an apartment or a condo. It might be his parents' basement. That car we're looking for, it's not cool like this. It's a minivan. Because this whole kid thing didn't work out quite the way that you were expecting. They came faster and quicker than you thought. And so the reality is very different than the expectations. And gentlemen, you're thinking, hey, this is what I expect. And, and maybe that's not the reality within your relationship. And so we have these desires that we bring into this marriage. They turn into these expectations. We dump them on our spouse. And we think this is what we expect. This is what should happen within our marriage. But reality says, oh, that's not quite what's going on. If you think for a moment about what we see here, what we find is these desires that we bring into this marriage, they're all about one thing. They're all about me. See, this is my box of desires, or this is my box of expectations. And the things that are within those boxes are all about one thing. They're all about me. And marriage was never expected or, or, or was never meant to be about me. In fact, in the book of Genesis, we read these words, Genesis 2, verses 18 through 24. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. 
So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife in such a way that the two become one person. Scripture says, here's the way this is supposed to work. It's two people and they come together and now they're one. And yet, if you think about it, many marriages, maybe even your marriage, it's two people and they're still two people. That coming together one never happens. Why? Because these are my desires and my expectations and I'm going to dump them on you. And so what, what's going on when this is the reality then? Because you're not able to fulfill the expectations that he may have and the same with her. And now you have this reality. What happens then? Well, what happens then is we have a marriage that's heading towards a heart attack. So the question is, what are the symptoms then? What are the symptoms of a marriage heading toward a heart attack? This morning I want to share with you four symptoms that I believe that could be in your marriage or relationships you know. And if you see these symptoms, they can give you a pretty good idea you're moving in that direction. All right, so symptom number one, that your marriage may be heading toward a heart attack. This one, pretty blunt, you want to leave. I mean, you, you, you want out. You, you're ready to move on. Maybe you've heard these statements before. Marriage isn't what I thought it would be. He or she is not meeting my expectations. I can't live up to your expectations. And so maybe that's where you are in your marriage right now, and you're thinking that, and you're feeling that. Here's what people do when they get to this point, when they're ready to leave. They think the best move is to move on. And here's what they do. They say, I'm out. And they pick up their box of desires and they go over to another relationship and like, let's get married. And so you do. And you get married. But you know what happens? Same thing. Because you got the same box of desires. And when that doesn't work, what do we do? I'm out. We take that box of desires and we go into another relationship. Like, hey, this is going to work. But nothing's ever changed. The marriage is still all about me. The marriages that you jump into, they're, they're the same. And the reason's pretty simple. We've been so focused on ourselves. We've said, I'm just going to keep taking my box of desires. And I'm hoping that because of the expectations I have for my spouse, that they'll live those out for me. Again, it all comes down to who I am and what I want. Let me give you some st- divorce statistics. Some of these you may be familiar with. Uh, first marriages in the United States, uh, about 50% in, in divorce. Um, Now, some of you have heard that Christians divorce at the exact same rate as non-Christians. Let me clarify this for you for a moment, and research shows this. Many times when they ask these questions, they ask people, hey, what's your faith background? People just mark Christian. Um, You can mark Christian and not be a Christian, right? And so a lot of people do that, like, hey, I grew up in a Christian home. I don't go to church anymore. I don't care about that, but, you know, maybe that's my background. What they find is that people who really hold close to their traditional values of faith when it comes to something like Christianity, people who attend church on a regular basis, which is is almost weekly, people who are spending time praying consistently, reading the Bible consistently, and are part of a church community, here's what they find. They divorce in the Protestant church. They divorce at about 31% less rate than the, the average person in America. So when people say Christians divorce at the same rate, they don't, okay? So I'm just throwing that out there. But first marriages in America do divorce at about 50% rate. Second marriages, 67%. Third marriages, 74%. Why? All we're doing is moving our box of desires into another relationship. 
And we're hoping something's going to change. But in the end, it's the exact same marriage because we are the exact same person. And all we're doing is jumping from relationship to relationship. So if you're in a relationship right now, you're in a marriage, and you think, I want to leave. I want to get out of here. Look, <laughs> statistics show nothing's going to change for you. And so why not change who you are now and protect and guard the marriages you have? Symptom number one, you want to leave. Symptom number two, you attempt to conquer your spouse. Um, this is where you attempt to change who your spouse is. You, you want her to be like you. You want him to be like you. And so you'll do whatever you can to, to change who your spouse is. And this really becomes a, a battle of the wills, a, a battle of force, if you will. Not physical force, but the battle of the wills. That I feel like I can outwill you in this. And in the end, I will be the winner. Now, how do we do this? How do we conquer our spouse? Techniques that are used, nagging. And by the way, when I use that word, I don't mean that just for women. Dudes, we nag all the time too. Okay, this goes both ways. Nagging, yelling, belittling threats. I mean, these are ways that we try to conquer our spouse. And for some of us, sad part is this is what we've learned, right? This is learned behavior from our parents. If you think about your parents' relationship, what was it like? And maybe it was like that. Maybe they tried to conquer each other. And so you saw that and thought, this must be normal. And so you do that within your relationship. But let me say, if you've got children, guess what they're going to do? They're going to see this in you. And chances are pretty good they're going to be and live out the same marriage relationship as you did. There's a lot of power here. We have to be careful that we're not trying to conquer our spouse. And if you see that that's what's happening within your relationship, the chances are good you're heading toward a heart attack in marriage. The third symptom, you try to get your spouse to conform to you. This is where we lose our identity, where, where we say, hey, if, if these are the desires and expectations that she has, then, then I'm going to become more like her. And if these are the expectations and desires he has, then I'm going to become more like him. We get to this place where we're almost worshiping our spouse because we want, it to, we, we, we want the relationship to feel sort of healthy, if you will. Because, hey, I, I could be like them, and, and if I can be like them, then everything's going to be fine within this relationship. And people on the outside, they look at this, and here's what they think. Wow. Man, they've got a great marriage. They're so much alike. And that may be true, but in the end, someone's given up who they are to be something they're not. And that's not a healthy relationship at all. In fact, I think when you look back at the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Ask yourself the question, is your spouse your God? Do you worship your spouse? That's not what God intended for marriage to be like. We're supposed to be our own individual person. We bring that individuality into this relationship, into this marriage, and that's where that growth happens. And yet many times what we try to do is conform to the other person, which again means we're heading toward a heart attack within that marriage. Are you trying to conform to your spouse? And then the fourth one, you try to compromise. You've probably heard it said marriage is a 50-50 deal, Right? Which means you, you split everything. Uh, you split duties in the house. You split time with the kids. You, you split time, you know, vacations, family, whatever it may be. So everything's got to be split 50-50. Here's what happens when we do that. That means we're keeping score. Hey, ladies, maybe this video looks familiar to you. Take a look at this. Is that true, ladies? 
Yeah, it is. Let's just be honest. If we know it's true. Um, you know, guys, we do something around the house. We're like, I did something, right? We go tell them exactly what we've done. Um, in this symptom, we are trying to keep score. We're, we're trying to say, hey, this is how much I've done. Now, what have you done? And we keep scoring. At the end of the day, we're laying in the bed, and we have the scorecard, and we kind of pull it out, like, hey, here are the five things that I've done. What have you done? And you're like, okay, you've got three, so I won five to three. You need to pick up your game. <laughs> now, Kara and I do this for fun, not because this is a symptom of our marriage. It's probably more me than anything. And uh, I'm like, hey, hon, guess what I did today? And somehow I always lose. I don't know what it is, but her list is always so much longer than mine. But, but really... Um, in many marriages, we try to compromise, and we say this is 50-50. Marriage isn't 50-50. It's 100-100. you got to be all in, because if you're not, it's not going to work. You have to give all of yourself to this marriage, and they have to give all of their self to this marriage. This isn't about compromise. This isn't about a scorecard. This is about working together. And the only way that it truly works is if we do it by giving everything that we have. Because if we don't, we both lose. And not only that, but intimacy is out the window. There's no romance because it's just a scorecard. It's a competition. And I don't think marriage was ever made and created for that. We try to compromise. There's another symptom that we can find that can be leading us toward a heart attack. Look, we have to know what our symptoms are. Uh, and there's so many more that we can add here. But those four, I think, are so prevalent in so many relationships. And so it's important for us to, to be aware of that and to look at our own marriage, to look at our own dating relationships. Even if you're engaged, to think about that and look at your fiance like, hey, is this what's happening to us? Because now's a good time to figure that out before you get married. But to know what those symptoms are to keep us from a heart attack when it comes to marriage. Now, the question is, how do we move beyond that? If that's where we are within our relationship, within our marriage, if it's all about me, how do we move beyond that? And I think it comes down to one very simple word, love. Remember before you were married, maybe when you met for the first time, do you remember how you fell in love with that individual? See, sometimes I think we have to go back to that to remember what that was all about, what that was like, what that love felt like. That's why I love these words out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul writes this in verses 4 through 8. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, I don't think Paul one day was in the local coffee shop there in Jerusalem He's drinking a latte, eating a gluten-free muffin on his MacBook Pro. And he's like, you know what? I really need to come up with some great words for a marriage ceremony. And then he just starts typing it up. And then all these words just kind of come out. And he's like, this is great. People are going to be using this for generations in a wedding. I, I know that's not what he was thinking about, okay? In fact, what Paul was doing is he was writing a letter to a church in Corinth. This is a church that he had started, that he had planted, and, uh, and Paul would do this. He would go in these places. He'd stay there for a couple of years. He would get leadership in place. He'd get them to a healthy position as a church. And then he'd move on to another, another location and start another church. But he would hear back what was happening within those churches. And so he hears back what's happening with this church in Corinth. And if you've ever read 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, um, you, you know they were jacked up, right? And if you haven't, you need to go back and read it because it was a messy place. 
But, but here's Paul who's, who's hearing all these stories and, and these experiences that people are having. And so he writes these letters back to them. And he writes this particular passage here in 1 Corinthians 13. He's like, look, you forgot something. You forgot how to love each other. And so these words that he's writing to them are all about love. He's like, look, this is what it looks like for you to love each other. He said, and you're supposed to be followers of Christ. And you're not loving each other the way a Christ follower should love each other. He's like, this is what this love looks like. Love each other. Love each other like Christ loved you. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not easily angered. And you know what? As I read those words, I think those are perfect words for us. In this setting right here as a church, this is the way that we are called to love each other. Within our communities, I believe this is what love looks like for us. If we're a follower of Christ, to just show what this love looks like. And we do that through what we read here from Paul. But I also believe within marriage, if we could live this out, man, those symptoms would go away. Because these are powerful words. I mean, think about what love that's patient in marriage would look like. We're not easily angered. We're not keeping a scorecard. We're not boasting. We could go through this list, and in any relationship we can have, but we could go through this list and we can say, yep, here are the things that I am doing within this relationship, within this marriage. Why? Because it's all about me. And Paul's like, it's not all about me. It's all about us. It's about showing this love, truly this unconditional love to those around us. And I think especially within the marriage relationship. Do we love our spouse unconditionally? If we want to stay away from those symptoms, if we want to cure from those symptoms, we begin by loving our spouse unconditionally. Now, can we do that practically? I think we can. Um, Early on in uh, Kara and my marriage, uh, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't pretty either. And, uh, and we knew that we needed to go in because we were young. Well, she was young. Um, and uh, there's a little age difference there. Um, she was younger. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we were, we were living far away from home. We didn't have any family around like many of you here. And, and we were just kind of at this, this spot. We're like, what is happening? And so we went to counseling. And the counselor said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read this book, The Five Love Languages. Uh, many, of you in here, many of you in here have read this book. You, you've used it within your marriage. And it's a powerful, powerful tool. So this is very practical this morning for, for us. So we read that. And we were like, oh, now... Now we kind of understand each other and where each person is coming from. And, and I can tell you this, it has changed our marriage. We're, we're almost 20 years in now. It has changed our marriage dramatically over that time because we understand how each one of us needs and loves to be loved. So here's the practical advice I have to all of us this morning. If you've never read that book, grab it. Uh, Amazon's like $10, I think, the paperback. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman has done an amazing job putting this together. I think he sold over 11 million copies of this book. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful tool. And in fact, there are five free books out there today. If you look in the seat in front of you, except if you're in the front row, sorry. Um, But the seat in front of you in the little cages, there's five of those books out here. There's a couple over here. So look in front of you there, see if there's some of those. But um, take those. They're yours for, for you to have. If you don't have one or you already have one and you get that book, just hand it to the person beside you. But in this book, he talks about how people best feel loved, okay? And he's got books for teenagers and and love languages for kids. And if you're single and men and military, I mean, everything. But but this one is very powerful when it comes to marriage and relationships. 
And so he lists these five love languages. Here's what he says, or here's the, the five that he gives. The first one is words of affirmation. It means you're encouraging your spouse. You're the person who, who loves to hear encouraging words, gratitude, thanks. And so this is how you feel most loved. Um, the second love language is quality time. That you're the person, you just love spending time with your spouse. You don't even have to be doing anything. Just, just hanging out is what you need. You, you enjoy this quality time. Third love language is receiving gifts. You like getting gifts. Now, we're not talking about diamond rings and, you know, gold chains and cars. We're, we're talking about just small gifts. It just means, hey, I'm thinking about you. I, I love you. I care about you. Now, the fourth one, he says, uh, that's a, a love language, is acts of service, which means helping around the house, uh, kids and projects. This is my wife's love language, and it changed everything when I knew that she really liked it when I did dishes and I helped with the kids. And, and so I started doing that stuff, and I still do that a lot because I know that's the way that she feels loved. And so some of us in this room, that's, that's your love language. And the fifth one is physical touch. I think I, you got that one, right? We're good? All right, good. I don't need to explain that one. That is my love language. But anyway, um, but once you know this love language, it, it really does change everything. Because again, you know and realize how your spouse feels love. And so when we go back to 1 Corinthians and we talk about this love and what it looks like in this unconditional love, now we can actually express it to our spouse. And I know for me, it's helping around the house. And again, helping with the kids and vacuuming and making the bed. I know for my wife, that's how she feels loved. And I can live out kind of what Paul talks about there in 1 Corinthians. And she knows what it is for me too. And so she does that with me and for me. And, and it works so well when you begin to understand your love language. Because here's the deal. I truly believe that when you begin to look into your spouse's box of desires, what you're going to find, you're going to find their love languages right in the middle of that. That all the things that she desires within this relationship, that, that may be expectations, but, but more so are those desires that she has, they're right there in that box. And, and ladies, it's right here in his box too. His, his love language is there. It is right there. And you will find that in his box of desires, whatever they may be. See, I, I don't think we know what the desires are of our spouse. And when we don't know, then we bring our own desires into this relationship and say, if this is what I desire, this has got to be what they desire too. And we turn these into expectations and we dump them on our spouse and the reality is not very pretty. Do you know your spouse's desires? Do you know what, what they, they want and desire so deep down in their heart? And not only that, do you know what that love language is? Do you know what gets them going? Do you know what excites them? Do you know what they love? Because if you do, it can begin to change that relationship. And it can change that relationship from being this relationship that's all about me. Because for many marriages, that's all it is. It's just about me. It's about who I am. It's about what I want and what I desire. And no marriage is going to be strong. And no marriage is going to be heart healthy. If that's where we are, we have to begin to understand the desires of our spouse, the desires of their heart, understand how they are loved. And when we can live that out, this reality can be way better than anything else. But I truly believe it goes back to moving from two people, remaining two people, to two people coming together as one. And the best way we can guard our marriage and guard our heart is by understanding those desires and that love language 
of the person we're married to. And when we do that, God can use that to change us, to move us forward, and to keep us from that heart attack. Every Sunday here at The Journey, we invite you to take communion because it's just this amazing expression of unconditional love that God has for us. We read in 1 John these words. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, Jesus gave his life to us, says, hey, this is the unconditional love. This is what this looks like. And God's like, this is this unconditional gift of love I'm going to give to you. And we celebrate that every single Sunday morning here at The Journey. As we take that bread, as we take that juice, as we are reminded of the love that God has for us. And that expression of love through giving his son Jesus to each one of us. My prayer this morning as we take communion that, that we will be reminded of that unconditional love that God has for us. But then we can express that unconditional love to those that we're so close to. The person that we're married to, maybe the person that we're dating, the person we're engaged to. That through that unconditional love, God can work incredible miracles. And so our reality looks different. But I believe it starts by being focused on Christ.